Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unplugged by Good Bets, where we provide the latest tips, strategies, and straightforward advice to underdog entrepreneurs and anyone who wants to leave a legacy by launching and growing a thriving social enterprise. I'm Nicole Jarbo from the Good Bets Group, and I'll be your host as we dive into the world of successful social entrepreneurship. Our episodes will be a hodgepodge. Some days we'll answer your most urgent startup questions, and others will interview founders you should know but we'll always provide practical and unfiltered advice to help you build a better venture faster. Hey everyone, today's a little bit of a different episode. Last week I had the chance to hang out with the Charter School Growth Fund in New Orleans at their ECMO retreat, and I was asked to speak on a panel to talk about fundraising thought it'd be fun today to talk to you all about some of the questions that folks asked and give you some of those answers. All right, so question number one, what advice do you have for small young charter organizations and fundraising? Well, I have a ton of advice, but I think a good place to start is to actually have a development plan. So a lot of folks, I think, confuse having a goal for fundraising, maybe it's a million dollars, maybe it's $2 million, but I don't actually have a plan that can help them get there. And I would say, so the first piece of advice I have for folks who know that fundraising is going to be a big part of how they generate revenue is to create that development plan. All right, number two, when and how should you involve others in the organization and fundraising beyond the development team? Uh, I am a recovering fundraiser, so I will say that the most equitable way to approach this is to look at your whole organization as extensions of the development team that just all have different roles, right? If you have a director of development, their role is obviously a really integral or crucial role. So is the role of the CEO or the executive director. But everybody on your staff and on your team can play some kind of role in development. And so it makes sense to think about development not just as a financial exchange you can get, but thinking about time, talent, treasure, and how can the rest of your team actually help push you forward in all of those directions. Again, this would be part of some kind of development plan, right? You can look at what strengths you have as an organization and where you can plug folks in. So I think the answer to that question is now, ASAP. You want to involve as many people as possible in this because when you hit your fundraising goals, it inevitably helps the whole community, staff, and the folks you're serving. Next question. How do you set realistic targets? How much is too much? Uh, You know, I like to live in a world of abundance. As a, a fundraiser, I actually have to, right? So... I would say there's never too much. And now that we've, we've covered that point, uh, I think realistic targets, you know, I'd like to tell people to think about it in a couple of ways, or one way in particular. Uh, there's a PG-13 version and then a, uh, a G version, but the, I guess this would be a over-21 version. Anyways, I like to think about it as creating budgets in, for a new program in particular or new initiative as beer, wine, and champagne versions of your program. Obviously, that beer version is just going to be the bare minimum of things. It's going to be the most conservative number, right? It's going to be the lowest. So everything you need to make sure that the program can actually happen uh, faithfully. 
wine is a level up where you're really thinking about what are the nice things that you'd like to have. So you have the bare minimum covered and now you're really thinking about that like next level up. And then champagne, of course, is the highest level where you have the ideal number of funds and ideally you would have um, a pretty sizable surplus um, as part of your goal, goals at that point. The other way that I like to think about it is a pyramid and on the bottom you have your needs, right? So what do you need? That's going to be the biggest part of the actual budget that you propose in terms of setting targets. And then in that second part of the pyramid, you're going to have that bucket of nice-to-haves, right? So you have everything you need. Now it's stuff that would just be a bonus for you. And then again, at the top of that pyramid, which would be the smallest part of the pyramid, right, you would have the only ifs. So only if you get everything else um, should you start raising and proposing uh, goals that encompass that area. So I tell people to set generally for a new program budget, they should set everything at the sort of nice to have level because it gives you flexibility and room and it also helps donors understand the possibility to increase what they give to hit the only ifs and feel comfortable that you're getting your needs taken care of. All right, so it shows a good understanding of how you're going to use money and your forecasting for the future, which is a really big part of the sort of financial stewardship component that a lot of donors are looking for. They want to make sure you know how to manage funds and you know how to spend the money that they invest in you. Alrighty. And I will say one more thing about this. You know, I've seen people in the past at organizations I've worked with or worked at um, who set really, really conservative goals because they like to say that they hit them. And I am not really a proponent of that. I think as you set goals, you do want to be ambitious and you do want to aim a little bit higher. One more thing I would add, um, as you set goals, I think setting realistic goals is really important, uh, but also aiming high is really important and it's necessary, I think, to hit ambitious goals. So I've worked with organizations or at organizations where their fundraising goals were really conservative and we pretty much knew we were going to meet the goals. And, and folks would celebrate after we met these goals, but they were so unambitious in their creation that it didn't really feel like we were doing much. And I think it actually encouraged the organization to be more laissez-faire about the way that they approached fundraising. So I would tell people, if fundraising and philanthropy is a huge part of the way you generate revenue, you want to make sure that you're aiming high. Because um, even if you don't hit that super ambitious high goal, you'll get a lot closer than you will setting a, a really conservative goal um, that, you know, is sort of underneath your ability. All right. So the next question, uh, what are some best practices for hiring fundraisers, especially people of color? First, we know that there's an incredible amount of bias in fundraising. So it makes a lot of sense to think really, really clearly first about the type of experience that you want and the type of supports that someone will need, particularly if they're coming from backgrounds very different from the donors that they may be approaching. You should absolutely hire people who bring more diversity to your organization. But I think in the role of philanthropy, you want to be 
extra um, attuned to what kind of differentiated support that person's going to need because of their background. And that's just real. Um, so that's, that's the one piece I'll say. And then I think best practices, really having expectations for what you want a fundraiser to contribute to your organization. Oftentimes, EDs, CEOs, they get stuck with the fundraising part, so they just bring in someone who's a development director and put the burden of reaching those goals directly on them. But the truth is a development director is supposed to assist and support in reaching those goals, but it should never be the sole responsibility of the development director. The responsibility of hitting fundraising goals is always on the CEO or ED. But what you want with a development director is somebody who can come in and see that money goal at the end, the financial goal at the end, and understand that that's a lagging indicator. Uh, You want a development director who can see that, but create a plan of leading indicators that will lead you all the way up to that financial goal and understands that work really, really well. Uh, Because the truth is you might meet a donor and talk to them for several years before they give you any funds. And so you want a development director who can balance uh, all of that opportunity and know strategically how to hit those goals. I often see people set quarterly goals and say, hey, we're not hitting this quarterly goal of, of funding, but they haven't actually put together a development plan or strategy that um, would turn around money that quickly for them to actually be engaging every quarter to make sure they have funds in or not. So that, that's a rookie mistake. And I think the biggest thing you want to be able to uh, look for when you hire is, does this person actually understand development and do they have experience in the areas that are complementary to the organization. For example, if you have a high net worth or ultra high net worth strategy, you want a development director who has experience in that space because that's gonna be very different than a small dollar campaign. So you want that savviness, that sophistication um, in that person's experience as you're thinking about hiring. How long does it take to cultivate donors? Um, I mean, there's no real answer to this. Um, it can take as it could take as long as several years, um, or as as little as an hour. And so, you know, I think the important thing to think about when asking this question is, who are the right types of donors for you to approach, and what sort of time commitment can you make in the cultivation process, right? And like, what do you bring to that cultivation process? Maybe you're great one-on-one. Um, it's going to be a lot faster for you to cultivate those relationships. But that's a really timely strategy. If you're an ED or a development director, you can't just hang out with donors one-on-one every single day all the time. It's just not going to be sustainable uh, for most small organizations. So I think operating with the patience that it can, it can happen whenever and will often just take a really long time is helpful. So having that patience is sort of at the macro level, um, but then in the day-to-day execution of trying to cultivate donors, having that urgency of continually building, communicating um, systems and infrastructure that are going to actually allow you to um, better build a relationship with folks. Uh, Can you share any creative fundraising ideas you have outside of individual donors and foundations? No, I'm not exactly sure what this question is, but I think you want to understand 
what makes sense for your organization. Obviously, there's grant funding that's available at the federal and state level and the local level, depending on where you are. Um, there are also chambers of commerce, business alliances, and other corporate giving structures that might be good targets for you. So in terms of ideas, what I did mention last week to people, it's kind of a, a silly one. It's not very creative. But I think often folks should just ask people directly for money. I think there's a, a game that we, we try to play in development, which is like, hey, here's step one. We show you a piece of collateral and tell you how great we are. Oh, and then we invite you to an event, and then you come and see the magicalness that is our organization. And then um, we set up a meeting with you where we debrief, and then you give us money. And at that point, we've had six touch points. And, I mean, that's cool, and I know it helps people feel better, but sometimes just asking and appealing to people's sort of good nature is a really good way to go. Uh, Scott Harrison from Charity Water just talked about how they stopped doing uh, auctions and these other things at their their big Charity Water gala and just started asking people directly for money and appealing to the good nature of the folks, right? And I think what he says, I'll have to find it and, and put this in the show notes somewhere, but he says that he went to, in this last... He says that instead of doing the auction stuff, uh, he just explicitly asked people and said, wouldn't you feel better at night knowing that you gave to this, knowing that you made a difference and made an impact? And I think often in fundraising, it feels really scary. So what we do is try to make up all these ways to um, approach the work and make us feel more in control. But the truth of the matter is, is like you're not going to get any funding if you don't ask. And you can ask immediately if it's going in that direction, um, or you can wait. I don't actually think that there is uh, a process for cultivation that works for every donor all the time. So it's about getting really, really good at building relationships with people and reading what they need from you and how you can partner. What are some considerations before creating a development plan or capital campaign? I'm just going to speak to the development plan because that's a little bit more in my wheelhouse. And I would say the biggest things are really understanding the strengths of your team and, and the resources that you have, right? I see way too many organizations building development plans that don't, um, that aren't based on the strengths and the resources they already have. So often you'll get to the end and there'll be this long list of people that you should hire. Well, if you had the money to hire all those people, wouldn't you have done that by now? Uh, is a question that I would have. And the question, the answer isn't always yes, right? But I think that you want to build development plans that really are complementary to the time that you have in terms of a resource, the money that you have and are willing to invest in fundraising, and the strengths of the leader. If the leader is an amazing writer, then you probably want to limit the times that they speak or the kinds of engagements that they speak at, right? So, that would be one thing. If they're great at storytelling and they have a really compelling background and people love hearing them speak, then that person's probably going to do better with individuals um, and particularly high net worth individuals, right? So how are you going to, how are you going to build a plan that honors that so you can be more effective? So I think understanding the strengths and the resources that you have is really, really critical before you start putting together that 
that sort of plan. Um, for a capital campaign, I'm not going to go into it too much. I mean, a lot of it is just strategically as an organization, if that's a priority, you're going to have to find a way to finance um, any kind of physical structures that you need. Um, but I think in terms of considerations, I think you want to make sure that everything else is in place. Are you getting a building because it sounds seems like the right idea um, and a natural progression? Or are you getting a building because you want to solidify something else or say something else about the organization? And so I think really understanding what the purpose is and what the point is is super important. All right, a couple more. What if my board says they are not a fundraising board? I think if your board says they're not a fundraising board, uh, you should fire them. I'm just kidding, kind of. Um, <laughs> but I do think that you should think really, really uh, carefully about who you let onto the board. So that's one piece. Um, I don't think people should think about their boards as fundraising boards, and maybe that's just me. But I, I think that fundraising is like scary to a lot of people. And so telling people they have to do something that they don't know how to do that probably feels uncomfortable to them because maybe they have hangups and mindsets around money like we all do. doesn't matter if you start with it um, in life or you don't have any at all. We all have some kind of issue uh, around money because it's such an integral part of the way that our society functions and allows us to live. So... We all have something there. So I think it's being really, really clear with your board what's expected of them in the fundraising realm. And like I mentioned earlier, we have to start thinking about philanthropy not just as money, but again, it's time, talent, or that treasure. It's not just the treasure part. You know, there are other pieces that people can contribute, and that is also philanthropy. And that can evolve into different forms of philanthropy. First, it could be volunteering then that could turn into a financial um, investment later down the line. So I would say if your board says they're not a fundraising board, you need to individually set goals with them and help them understand as well as a collective that um, fundraising and philanthropy is a core part of the organization's ability to serve its beneficiaries. And there are lots of ways to fundraise that might not look conventional to them, but are actually really, really effective. So I think it's understanding how the board really does feel at an individual level and then giving them a couple of things they can do collectively and as individuals that highlight their own strengths and ability to help. Um, and that's not very tactical, so I'll get a little bit tactical. Most people think that the board's job is to ask all of their rich friends to give money. That is one way. Most people don't like doing that. So <laughs> it doesn't really make sense to only frame fundraising support from the board in that way. There are lots of other things boards can do. And so, again, sitting down with them and helping them understand there's a whole menu and host of ways that you can support the organization in fundraising um, and, and empowering them to learn how to do those things, that that's the best way to do this because fundraising is not scary and everyone can fundraise regardless of their network um, if they believe in the work that you're doing. All right, how do I elevate the voice of the leader? 
Well, I think, again, it's it really has to be strengths-based. Like what messages really resonate, you know, from the leader with the general public or different audiences? Understanding that and then supporting that leader, or if you are the leader, taking up opportunities to highlight what you're best at. That's where you're going to win. So that might be that might be writing, and not just a newsletter, but places that people actually are. So that could be uh, a LinkedIn, that could be a Medium. People are reading and looking for content in those spaces, and the organic reach is something that you probably can't do yourself, right? So that is uh, absolutely a way to do it. If you have a leader who's just fantastic at writing, if you have a leader who's great at speaking, videotape one of their keynotes. Put it up online somewhere, you know, pass it out to donors, but really take advantage of the vast ways and channels we have to get a message out there now and make sure it works for them. Don't have your CEO who's a fantastic writer talk to people all the time, unless they're writing a speech. You know, and I hate to say stuff like that, but really we want to position ourselves and our leaders to put their best foot forward and so understanding what that is one and then looking for opportunities that are complementary to that is going to be the second piece last question are there fundraising strategies to avoid things i should not waste my time on yes do not waste your time on things that you don't know how to do very well that would be my advice to everyone i think the goal in life with work is to understand what you're best at and how you can best contribute to the world and your organization as sort of a smaller part of the world and get more of your time doing that. Right now, if you are an amazing writer, but your job is only 20% writing, the goal is to move that to 60, 80% of your time. And that is realistic. I think some people don't think it is, but it's about really partnering with others who know their strengths as well and looking for complementary strengths as you build a team. So I would say, you know, strategies to avoid, again, things that you're not good at and things that take a lot of time that you're not good at. A lot of people love events and I have no idea why. Um, they look good and they're flashy, but you're often taking someone full-time work hours to put that together over the course of a year if it's any good and if you want people to give it has to be good Um, doesn't mean it needs to be expensive but it has to truly have a vision that you can that you can implement and showcase to people that you want to be champions so fundraising strategies you shouldn't do are ones again that take a lot of time and ones you don't know how to do very well Uh, Because you want to put your best foot forward because that's going to be the way that you attract folks who want to partner with you. Um, And I think that's just a more empowering way to do this. And the last thing I said when I was in New Orleans, oh, I'm going to like butcher it. It's not exactly the last thing I said, but I did mention that if fundraising feels daunting and does not feel good, because the amount of rejections, the disorganization that you might have, uh, there's just general confusion about how to do this effectively. Um, If it starts becoming too daunting, 
then the truth is, is like, you're not doing it right. Because asking someone for a million dollars to help you live your dream, like it's actually pretty cool. And there are lots of different ways you can do it. And at the same time, you're building community. Um, you know, you're building a community of champions who really want you to succeed. And I, I can't think of anything that's, you know, more cool than that. Maybe not having to do it, I guess, and just having the money. But this is a place where you should be allowed to um, experiment, push forward, and approach it very optimistically and with a mindset of abundance. Like That's how you're going to win here. Alrighty, that is all that I have time for because I'm late uh, to a meeting. But y'all are all awesome. And we are now on Apple Podcasts. So if you're listening there, leave a review. That would be awesome as well. Thanks, y'all. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Do you have a question you'd like us to answer or an idea for a show? Email us at hello at goodbets.co with unplugged in the subject line. If you want to learn more about GoodBets Group and our work, then visit us at goodbets.co. That's G-O-O-D-B-E-T-S dot C-O. Till next time.